Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And the political world is going to be focused on the state of Georgia for the next couple of weeks up until the Ju- uh, sorry, excuse me, January 5th, I believe, uh, runoff elections. I'm getting so confused by the different dates that are running around. We have with us Yitz Tendler an Atlanta resident, also the founder and director of Young Jewish Conservatives, a nationwide organization uh, uniting uh, conservative leading, that's a small C conservative, Jews uh, around the country. You always got to differentiate the Jews uh, as far as uh, their labels these days. Uh, Yitz Tendler, welcome to Spin Class. Thank you, Michael. Honor to be here. Okay, so first and foremost, uh, did you think you'd be sitting in the middle of the political crossfire? You're kind of out of the way, uh, working in Georgia, promoting Judaism and Yiddishkeit out there in the great American South. And yet uh, you are now hotly in demand as a voter, as well as an influencer when it comes to the most important elections, perhaps in uh, the history of our country, uh, the most at stake in a single state, I should say, in the history of our country. Never. I would never have imagined this situation. You know, you talk about uh, you talk about swing states. What comes to mind is Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania. You know, go out and vote. Your vote counts. In Georgia, historically, it's kind of just been a civic duty, certainly at the top of the ballot. Right. You know, Georgia's always been red. That's what they say. Right. And uh, even though we've had a few close calls and uh, there have been some pretty narrow elections, uh, nobody ever thought that it could really happen. And and what's happening right now, kind of all the stars are aligning. The stakes uh, that 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 we're facing in this election is pretty much unlike any election anywhere. Because when do you have two senators, right, at the ever on the ballot at the same time? Correct. Um, it's supposed to be know, staggered. We we by design we have it right? staggered. That's how, that's how it's structured. And so here you have two senators who hold the balance of power, right? Both facing runoffs due to uh, Georgia's, uh, the way Georgia's rules work. And so the amount of focus on Georgia is something that we've never experienced. I'm sure our, our friends in Florida have experienced it to some extent before, but this is, our community is not built uh, for this stuff. We're not a super, super political co- uh, community. I'm talking broadly about the Jewish community um, and, the, and you know, the, in general, the residents of Georgia, we've kind of always been like a footnote. So it's, we're not used to this, let's put it that way. Well, nobody could possibly be prepared for the onslaught of political advertising that is coming your way, or I guess has started to come your way. I thought we're we're talking about an excess of $300 million in political advertising coming. Uh, Of course, it's control of the United States Senate. It's it's right now it could be, let's just say, uh, I guess, uh, given the preponderance of evidence right now is the difference between one party rule and balance of power uh, in in the United States. Uh, I think that uh, even as a Republican, I feel fair to say that the odds on is that Joe Biden will be sworn in on January 20th. I'm not going to get into the debate over that. But uh, just, uh, you know, there are there are possibilities the other way. Uh, but the Democrats are going to control the House just narrowly, and the balance of power of the Senate comes down to these two seats. Uh, if the Democrats win both, uh, it's 50 plus one with the deciding votes of the uh, vote of uh, Vice President or elect uh, Ka- Kam- uh, Kamala Harris. And if the, Demo- if 
the Republicans do both. It's 52-48. So the stakes could not be higher. But uh, yet you mentioned the Jewish community. Let's talk about the Jewish community and more, I guess, more specifically for our audience, the Orthodox Jewish community in Georgia. It's not insubstantial. Of course, it's not necessarily a game changer when it comes to statewide elections. Well, when you talk about uh, election mar- and mar- victory margins that are as thin as ours, I don't care how small your community is, it's going to matter. Fair, fair point. So, I mean, we're looking at the, you know, in the single digit thousands of, uh, of votes could potentially decide this election. So uh, they say there are roughly 130,000 Jews in Metro Atlanta. It's probably a little bit of an inflated number. What we know for sure is probably half of them don't affiliate with any stream of Judaism. OK, so within those of those who do affiliate with Judaism, uh, you know, the Orthodox community is a is a pretty small minority, although, you know, we definitely play a role. And, um, you know, so let's say there are a thousand Orthodox households, affiliated households in Metro Atlanta, let's say. So we're talking about potentially a few thousand voters. And, if you, and again, if the margin of if the margin of victory is, is, is a few thousand, that's important. But more importantly, uh, is the fact that that, you know, is the fact that while. While um, sometimes elections are about swaying the other side, um, this election is mostly about getting out the vote, right? So who's able to motivate uh, their voters to get out and and vote? Um, I would say possibly the only electorate that is open to being swayed could potentially be the Democrats who are concerned about Israel. Because one of the things that's been coming out um, about about one of the candidates, you have Reverend Warnick, who, who has uh, said some problematic things about Israel. So I think uh, Republican uh, strategists have correctly identified this as a weak spot. And this is not only an opportunity to get people out to vote, but potentially an opportunity to switch people over from one column to another. If they can get uh, Jews who traditionally vote Democrat, but who are passionate about Israel and don't want an individual like, like Reverend Warnock, who, who said publicly from the pulpit that the IDF shoots Palestinians like birds of prey, that's an offensive thing to a lot of Jews who have very high esteem for the IDF. Um, and who and who view that as a vicious double standard because he has not said anything from the pulpit um, about about, um, you know, uh, terrorism, uh, terrorism or, yeah, certainly other other uh, violent crimes committed by the Palestinians. And, and, and so, yeah, that's a pretty unfortunate double standard. And so that is uh, a one potential place where you can move people to a different column. And uh, but other than that, I think it's going to be mostly about getting out the vote. Who, whichever party can do a better job getting folks to actually vote. And, and we know these special elections have notoriously low voter turnout. Uh, people don't come out for them. Almost, you know, very, very low numbers. So whoever can do it uh, is going to be the winner. So there was a – of the voter registration deadline has now passed. There was an effort to register new voters – uh, particularly, I saw flyers going around from a good of Israel and other organizations trying to register Georgians. Even if you were once upon a time a Georgian, apparently you can decide that you still want to be a Georgian and you want, yeah. am I getting, is it, is it Georgian or is that Georgian referred to the company? What, what do people in Georgia call themselves? Yeah, I think it's Georgian. Yeah. Oh, okay. It. Just as so, so, so yeah. okay. So if you want to call yourself a Georgian or you're, you moved to Israel and your last address was in Georgia, go ahead and register to vote. I don't know how successful that was, but I guess it shows what you're saying uh, based on that and that effort alone, uh, what you're talking about, these potential for razor thin margins. Uh, I know. So uh, where are you, 
How many phone calls are you getting with regard to this? I mean, are you getting phone calls? How many phone calls are Jewish Georgians getting or those who are out there uh, with regard to this election? Yeah, great question. Listen, I think anybody in the country was bombarded by text messaging uh, leading up to November 3rd. I would imagine you were also, even though you're in New York, right? Even though, yes, even Even though. So uh, so there's no question that leading up to November 3rd, there was already a tremendous amount of investment in Georgia because the pollsters correctly identified it as, as the new the new frontier. It's the new swing state. Right. Florida has, uh, you know, in my opinion, thankfully moved over deeper into the red column. Some would say it has to do with a, a tremendous influx of, of, of Israelis and other traditionally minded Jews um, and, and other demographics who have now are now voting more Republican. But um, on the lead up to November 3rd, specifically on the Senate race. Interestingly, I, we were getting blanketed with uh, with uh, physical mail uh, voting material, really sophisticated things, actually. Um, I noticed most of them were directed against uh, John Ostoff from the Purdue campaign. They did an exceptional job producing like really glossy, sophisticated uh, material about Ostoff's record. Um, so since he, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. No, he exactly. He does not have much of a record. He's, he's his only record pretty much has been that he ran once before. Um, but you know, there's some, there's some things around him, which are problematic also for, for pro-Israel Jewish voters with regards to some of the business he's done with Al Jazeera and other things like that. So, um, so we've already been blanketed since November 3rd. Interestingly, it's actually, um, it's actually decreased. Uh, I would, you know, it could be between now and January 5th. We'll see, we'll get, we'll get snowed in essentially by, by mail, uh, mail materials, but uh, I've seen a decrease. I would say you mentioned this effort to get uh, Georgians, uh, Jewish Georgians uh, abroad and in other parts of the country to vote. So I, I, I think we should acknowledge Agudath Israel of America. My shul is not an Agudath shul. Agudath has a very minimal official representation in Georgia, but they uh, were the organization that really stepped up and they said, you know what, you know, uh, demographics that vote are demographics that are heard. And, and no matter who you vote for, it's a, it's, it, it, they are a 501c3, and, and they said, just register, just, just, just vote. And they figured it all out. They're working with an organization in Israel called I Vote Israel, which focuses on Americans in Israel. And what's interesting is that each state, apparently the laws are different. But in Georgia, not only can a Georgian who made Aliyah to Israel vote, but in fact, their children who were born in Israel can vote as a Georgian as well. My understanding is that a child of a Georgian who made Aliyah can choose to quote unquote adopt the either state of their parents. So if a Georgian marries somebody from New York, the child who lives in, you know, Harnov could say, Hey, I want to vote as somebody from Georgia and, and vote. So a good another gives another meeting to dual citizenship. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well look, every vote counts. Uh you, you know people should keep in mind that there is a election in New York state right now with the margin of error, the Republican leads in central New York up in the Mohawk Valley. Uh, right. right now, Claudia Tenney leads Anthony Brindisi by 12 votes. And there is, and there was an election with a Republican in Iowa and that's been declared, although it seems that's going to be challenged. The margin there is six votes. So, well, I, I, I do want to get into the margin of the presidential election in a couple seconds, uh, you know, first, but I first want to finish this focus up on the from vote uh, specifically. But we're uh, we had a guest last week uh, at, who is a market researcher who talked a little bit about the fact that there were, there may have been more 
the conventional wisdom, of course, is that the Orthodox community went 80 plus percent for Trump and everybody thinks that. And, of course, and it might be true. We don't know. We don't really know because the sample sizes of polling are so small that you can actually extrapolate. Uh, where does the community and even the Orthodox community fall out and the Republican Democrat or the blue red divide as far as and I understand you wear the young Jewish conservatives hat, not asking you to take off that hat. But as a community sure. guy, where do you think that most people fall out? Sure. So let's just first speak broadly about the Jewish community. If you would have asked me a month ago, where does the Jewish community fall? I would say the Jewish community is similar to virtually every other Jewish community in the country. And, uh, and which means that it skews overwhelmingly Democrat. Yes, we're in the South. Yes, you know, the, the, the Jewish community might be a little bit more conservative, but by and large, we skew heavily, heavily Democrat. That's what I see from the uh, established communal infrastructure. Um, and, uh, and um, uh, that's what I would have thought. Now, if you're following the news, you may have seen an article from, I think, JNS and a few others have uh, pointed out that the New York Times did an exit survey by demographic, and they claimed that um, Donald Trump um, actually received something like 51% of the Jewish vote in Georgia, uh, which is a mind-boggling number. Um, it's highly surprising. I don't know if you saw this. They said I did. I did. So it, if that – I'm sorry? Yeah, I was going to say the AP had a number of 41% of the Jewish vote for Trump in Florida. Florida. Uh, so, right. right. I mean, the one, one of the challenges here with that, just to put a disclaimer on it, and I'm willing to believe any of the numbers because I 20, 30, 40, you know, is that sometimes when your sample size is small and a lot of times the exit polls, when they're, when they're taking the larger exit poll and then teasing out the Jewish number from that. Yeah. Uh, one vote here or there can skew right. the whole number by 10%. So your margin of error actually becomes quite enormous. Yeah. But yeah. so that's why guys with their ear to the ground, that's why I'm asking you, I can look at the poll, but yes, I, I think the yeah, guy, I'm, let's yeah, change. You're I'm, just saying it. Let's challenge the conventional wisdom. We're going to challenge the conventional wisdom here. Let's, you know, it could be 50%. We don't know. Go ahead. It's, it's highly, highly doubtful that it's 50%. I, I think that like you're saying, that number is skewed. One of the reasons it might be skewed, someone speculated that they only, they only polled day of voters, right? So if you're, if you're polling people who are voting on the day of in person, right? Those, during were, those, those were Trump voters. Exactly. So you're, so they're overperforming. I don't know why the New York times didn't account for that, but so that's a story. Yeah. So, so the, the Jewish community, broadly speaking, is overwhelmingly democratic, overwhelmingly liberal, which is why you're finding some of our, our, our more liberal Jewish friends um, kind of bent, bent into a pretzel a little bit, having to defend um, Reverend Warnick, as an example, because they, you know, they pride themselves on their relationship with the black community. And he's obviously a leader in the black community. And on the one hand, they care about Israel. On the other hand, they care a lot about, about their position um, and how they're viewed on, on racial issues. So in the Orthodox community, um, I, again, I have no hard data. Um, I would estimate that that in in the immediate vicinity of where I live, which is the largest Orthodox area of of, uh, of Atlanta, um, at least seventy percent voted for Trump, um, if not more. That would be my estimation. It doesn't mean there weren't uh, some Biden voters, but I think the majority voted for Trump. However, one thing I will say, which is very interesting, is that if you drive through my neighborhood, you can count on one hand the number of Trump yard signs. Right. So what's interesting is that I know for a fact, because of my relationships with the people here, that the vast majority voted for Donald Trump. On the other hand, people are quiet about it. In general, they're not necessarily very loud about politics and specifically with a candidate like President Trump and a and a charged political atmosphere that we have today. Uh, they don't necessarily want to be loud about it, especially because we are our neighborhood is, is positioned geographically 
uh, closer to the, uh, the more urban parts of Atlanta than some other Jewish community, Jewish neighborhoods, which are further out in the suburbs. I think the further out you go into the suburbs and into rural areas, people are more comfortable uh, kind of wearing their political affiliation in their sleeves in general. So, well, you, well, you gave me a great segue into the suburban shift, and we've mm-hmm. seen it since 2016 in a, in a big way. Uh, it, and Georgia is actually would definitely be the poster child. We talk, you talk about Georgia being a swing state now. It's only a swing state because the Atlanta suburbs have now gone so heavily for uh, for Democrats, uh, for and went heavily for Joe Biden. You saw. Uh, Counties like DeKalb County and Cobb County and some of these counties, uh, uh, Gwinnett is another one that that went for uh, went for Democrats for the first time since you know the Dixie Crats, you know, since right. kind of that that shift back in the '60s and '70s where the South went for Republicans. So you saw a shift back. Uh, you're kind of in the suburbs a little bit, not you know maybe the yeah. inner ring suburbs. Uh, what do you see as a guy involved in politics as well as to what's happening in Georgia and that shift now that Georgia is this a is this a is this a Trump purely a Trump phenomenon or is this a, uh, a realignment altogether? I mean, you have to look at uh, the you know Atlanta is one of the top cities in America that people want to move to. It's an economic powerhouse. It's growing. It's uh, you know it's, it's a high quality, great quality of life. You know, people are in general moving. Uh, to Texas, to Florida, and to a lesser extent, but also to a significant extent, to Georgia. So you're going to be you're going to have um, a lot of new voters, you know, who moved in over the past, let's say, ten years, and a lot of them are going to be coming from more liberal parts of the country. They kind of are, um, you know, looking for opportunity, which was created in a in a Republican environment, but they're not necessarily checking their politics at the door. They're bringing it with them, which is ironic, but you know, that's just that's just the reality, and we're seeing it also in certain parts of Texas. As well, so um, so some of it is the fact that people are coming already more politically liberal, and that's just something they're bringing with them, uh, for sure. Um, and some of it has to do with the culture wars. It's become more and more, um, you know, more and more unacceptable in in more sophisticated circles. People who can consider themselves educated and cultured to be to be a Republican in general, and that's something the Republican Party, uh, you know, has to has to deal with. Um, it's an issue that they have, um, certainly to be publicly. Um, aligned that way. So I think the, the people who are in the suburbs who feel like they're, they're kind of more educated, more, more, more culturally uh, in, in, in tune with things um, have certainly become more politically liberal. Is this, a, do you look at this as a long-term trend or will some of those people, as they become more economically successful, they might become more conservative or is the trend i mean we, we've actually seen the trend actually throughout the country in different places and i don't know if it's if it's entirely just you know, it seems to be matched by education right i mean more highly educated people now or seem to be identifying more with democrats it's it's really yeah. turned politics up on, on its head over the last uh what we've all expected over the last two decades uh certainly um uh, so it's it's definitely a trend that's that's been happening, but I, maybe we've just seen a uh, an escalation of the trend or an acceleration of the trend more than we've seen a kind of a wholesale realignment. Although I mean, you're looking at places. I mean, in New York and some of these places, you have Republican parties in the Northeast now that are very weak. You have a Republican Party in Georgia that's pretty strong. Yeah, that's true. I think you're right. Listen, I think the Trump effect can't be over overstated. I mean, the, you know, the fact that you have a person 
like like President Trump, who's who's at least you know on paper leading the party, and and the way the way his attitudes and his brashness is something that definitely rubs people the wrong way, right? The you know he comes as you know you're more familiar with people who 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 uh, who carry themselves that way, you know, in New York, but in, 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 the, in the South, right? I mean, not you know. I mean, I think it's just the way people operate. You know, it's less uh, people are less comfortable with that, and 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 you know, I think the case for for decency, which was made by by Biden's people, just just elect a guy who's who's going to talk to you in a decent manner and to his political opponents with respect, um, also resonated somewhat. Um, so, but yeah, good question. The Trump effect is such an important thing. I mean, whether he sticks around till twenty twenty four or doesn't is probably going to be the most important uh, crossroads that the Republican Party. We'll be at. Okay, this is Spin Class. We're talking to Yitz Tedler, the founder of the Young Jewish Conservatives, coming to us from Atlanta, Georgia, now the focal point of the political universe. Uh, and Yitz, I wanted to – to what extent does the CDC uh, being located in Atlanta – and being Georgia, and I guess so many people affiliated with that and uh, with the uh, healthcare industry, which is prominent in Atlanta as well. You have some, uh, some really great hospitals there uh, around Emory. It's right in your neighborhood, I right. should say. I mean, literally right in your neighborhood. Uh, to what extent does that make a coronavirus and public health and some of these and, and the president and this administration's battles, I guess, with some of these more prominent public health officials uh, front and center in Atlanta? Does that will that carry over, in your opinion, to the Senate races? Yeah, that's a great question. So as you pointed out, yeah, the CDC is, is literally down the street. Emory University is down the street. They obviously have some top uh, epidemiologists. And, and we have been at the center of this whole uh, this whole debate. Um, I mean, one one side benefit is that we're blessed to have in our community some top-notch epidemiologists who really know what's going on because they work for the CDC or they lecture on, on the topic. And so that's been great. Um, I mean, it's hard to know how it'll carry over. I mean, you know, the, the attitude of, of the general public in Georgia really varies. Here in Atlanta, there's the closer you get to, down, to the, again, to downtown Atlanta, there's a tremendous amount of, of uh, sensitivity and, and adherence to mask wearing and social distancing. And as you go further out, there's less and less so. And that's the case everywhere, really. Um, you know, I, I know that the governor of Georgia is now in a little bit of a funny place because early on he emerged as, yeah. a, as a as was going to was going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, he, he emerged. The governor of Georgia, you know, raised his national profile by refusing to create these blanket state mandated uh, rules and, and preferred to have them come on, uh, you know, be implemented on the local level. Got a tremendous amount of flag for it. Um, you know, now, unfortunately, he's, he's not on, on the best of terms with, with certain elements in, in this administration. But um, but I think the people of Georgia, the ones who elected him, uh, would prefer to have that approach to these things. Um, you know, I was recently uh, rollerblading on the Beltline, which is like this, like, you know, suburban or even urban uh, uh, kind of recreational area. I would say 70 percent of people were not wearing masks uh, while engaged in exercise. And so. You know, yes, that's that's just an observation. Hard to know how to carry over. So you mentioned the governor. Let's talk about the Republican Party in Georgia uh, right now being in an internal open warfare, uh, obviously around recounts, counts, certifications, et cetera. The president obviously upset about his 12,000 vote uh, deficit in Georgia. The vote has been certified, recounted, certified, and I think recertified again. Um, president came down on Shabbos, uh, actually much of Shabbos, I should say, to do a uh, to do a rally, and obviously uh, blasted and talked, even talked about 
uh, supporting Doug Collins, who lost in the Senate primary right. to uh, to challenge Brian Kemp, the sitting governor, who was elevated, as you should say, in that primary originally to his position by support from President Trump. So what's going on and how does that what does that mean for the primaries? I'm sorry, for the runoff. And what does that mean for the future of the Republican Party in Georgia? I mean, are you going to have a Trump wing and a regular Republican wing? I mean, what, what what's going on? This is an excellent observation. I don't think we're ready to resolve this right now. I think we have to get through January 5th. But you're right that this is going to potentially have a very long lasting effect on the party. Um, it's a, it's a sad story. I mean, what, you know, as it is, the party became fragmented because of this, uh, this Senate race. Uh, the, 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 um, the Loeffler, um, the Loeffler race was a jungle primary, which means there were 17 candidates, if I'm not mistaken, multiple Republican candidates, multiple Democratic candidates, all the way up to November 3rd, right? So Doug Collins, you know, eventually comes out and endorses and endorses his opponent, but, but there's, you know, there's some, there's some tension there, and 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 then you have all these issues with recounts, and the, and the you have the secretary of state, and you have the lieutenant governor, and then you have the governor, and and um, it's a mess. It's not, it's not a great situation. It does not bode well uh, for the future of the party, and I think it'll also depend. A lot of this will depend on whether President Trump, uh, as is being rumored, uh, decides that he's announcing right now that he's running for president in 2024. And so will those tensions continue or will we be able to put them behind us and and rally around a unified party is going to play itself out nationally as well as in Georgia. And yeah, I mean, these, these folks, Brian Kemp is not a never Trumper, you know, he is not the Lincoln project or any of these, you know, this is, these are like true believing uh, conservatives. So it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs. You, you did leave out one, I guess, I mean, we would call her a fringe type of figure, um, mm-hmm. but um, certainly has gotten some notoriety or celebrity, a uh, congresswoman-elect from, uh, I guess, I think the northeastern or northwestern yeah. part of the state, Marjorie Taylor Greene, an open supporter of the QAnon conspiracy theory. Uh, I personally think it has incredible anti-Semitic overtones, uh, historically, um, to... Uh, blood libel, et cetera. Other people can say otherwise. That's, that's fine. I'm not looking for your opinion on that. I'm just looking on the idea that somebody who is engaged and is a 9-11 denier uh, and having been there, um, I can tell you it happened and it happened yeah. the way we said it happened. But this is a woman who's actually questioned whether the U.S. government destroyed the World Trade Center itself in order right. to wage war on the Arab world. Now going to Congress, uh, yeah. What's going on with you? What's going on with Georgians? And how do you, as a sane, thinking, good conservative like me, say this is part of my party? What has happened here? Yeah, that's a great question. Listen, I haven't. I, you know, obviously, she got a lot of national attention uh, because yes, yeah, she is a something of a QAnon believer. The president was asked about this at a, at a debate. I think it was in Florida, and he he didn't answer because he claimed, he, as I think rightfully so, he wasn't familiar enough with QAnon because you know it's kind of like the you know what they say about. You know, just, uh, you know, kind of painting them into a corner. QAnon is, is an Internet conspiracy theory. I, I, you know, there's probably all kinds of variations of it, and some of it is anti-Semitic, I'm sure. Some of it is, uh, is, is not. Um, all of it is probably crackpot um, based on just a casually looking at it. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think more troubling than, than the fact that she doesn't believe uh, in specific uh, things that may have happened on, you know, that happened on 9-11 is, is the fact that she buys into this, this uh, general conspiracy theory uh, attitude, which I think is gaining a lot of traction right now. So, 
You know, I don't know. Listen, every party has their fringe, has their, has their fringe. Uh, their oh, that's party. for sure. <laughs> There's um, no monopoly on either side. Good question. I think people who are definitely, who are openly anti-Semitic or flirt with anti-Semitism should be called out for it. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you know, it sounds like you've looked into her more than I have. So, you know, if she 100% subscribes to the anti-Semitic elements of QAnon, then she should be publicly called out for it. Well, I, I okay, so let me just explain what I mean by anti-Semitic. I mean, I think when you talk about a cabal running the world of pedophiles sure. who are engaged in yeah. child sacrifice and killing children quietly, and apparently yeah. none of those parents ever say anything about their kids being kidnapped and killed, uh, but that's just one of those things. Um, it it kind of smacks a little bit of you know the protocols if you if you don't mind me saying it yeah. other uh, other amalgamated uh, conspiracy theories out there. I, I I wasn't trying to put you on the spot and defend her. I'm just wondering yeah. you know look we both I identify as a Republican. I'm not turning around and, and pointing a finger here. I'm just saying I, I I'm uncomfortable with that idea in. in in, in general, sharing common cause, although I don't take responsibility for every Republican, I don't expect Democrats to take responsibility for every Democrat. I guess my question is, is that, you know, the people out there in very rural areas, what are now, you know, I guess, you know, very ruby red areas, I yeah. guess once upon a time, they were very Democratic areas. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like, <laughs> it's hard for me to feel that we're on the same team. Uh, although everybody you know feels that they have the same jersey on if you're a Republican and Democrat. Yeah, I mean I think I think you're right that listen the Trump effect uh, ha, uh, the Trump affected a lot of things. One of those things is that people like chaos candidates. Some people do. Right? They want somebody who's not I think that's a great point. Yeah. You know, they're not they, they're looking for someone they might not agree with everything they say, uh, but they want somebody who's going to shake things up. And so President Trump uh, came in as an outsider and he shook things up. He he was a disruptor. And um, and so there are people who feel like, you know, I can I can elect some some quiet guy who's going to go in and maybe he'll vote a certain way. But is he going to be, you know, in Hitlhan Omar's face, you know, screaming at her? Um, no. So if I have a chance to 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 elect somebody who's going to post on Twitter, uh, you know, her holding a, a shotgun and pointing it towards towards, you know, pictures of her political opponents. And that'll result in, in, in like in, in a more stark version of my political beliefs. I might vote for her, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I I think you're right about the chaos, the disruptor, all that. That had a great incredible appeal. Um and uh look, hopefully that's not where all politics is going, uh, but we shall see. Uh Yitz Tendler, young Jewish conservatives, Atlanta, Georgia resident and activist coming to us from the center of the political universe. Good luck with the onslaught of mail, texts, emails, <laughs> and all the other voter contact that is coming your way over the next couple of weeks until January 5th. And uh, if you don't vote, you don't count. So everybody out there, whether you're in Georgia or anywhere else, uh, please be sure to vote. But if you're in Georgia, it counts doubly uh, as much. Uh, you know, not not for this election, because that would be illegal. But uh, if you want to move to Georgia and influence future elections, whatever political party you are, we have a beautiful Jewish community here. And we, we'd open you with, we welcome you with open arms. And an absolutely fantastic assistant rabbi as well to boot. That's so true. Uh, I will. Uh, OK, thank you so much here on Spit Class. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you Take next care. time. All the best.